Well, we have been following the life of Ethan Goodwin. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that um, there's this fictitious story that we're telling about a young man at the age of 21, he died, and his angel actually took him to heaven. And his angel's name is Kalita. And Kalita and he are going through all these different events that uh, people, we Christians, will go through when we are in heaven. And last week, you may remember that from heaven's perspective, Ethan went through the rapture. His, his experience was that he came back with Christ, and while the rapture was happening over Wisconsin, which is where he was from, his body actually changed. It changed into his immortal or imperishable body. Now, if you were listening closely over the course of these few weeks, you know that Ethan has a younger sister named Emma. And uh, in the rapture, his mom came to heaven, but his younger, and his dad was already in heaven, and his younger sister did not. Emma did not come. By this time in the story, Emma is grown. She is married. She has two little boys. And uh, now, the next event that Ethan is going to go through is what's called the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians will actually stand before the Lord and give an account of their lives. Matter of fact, this, this judgment is very clearly articulated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Let me read this verse to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. It says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us Christians it's speaking to. We have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in the body, the physical body of ours. Now, this word recompense is a word that you probably haven't used lately. Uh, the word means that we come into possession of something or we receive something based on the deeds that we have done in our physical body. And he concludes this verse by saying, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So let's imagine, if we will, as Grace continues to tell the story of Ethan Goodwin, let's imagine his experience as he goes before the Lord in this event called the Judgment Seat of Christ. The group of about 50 people reached the top and stepped inside along with their angels. Attending angels stood shoulder to shoulder along the inside of the wall in respect to the one who was on his own raised platform in the front of the room. There he was, dressed in fine white linen, Jesus, in the flesh, looking much different than when he took the rapture to church. He didn't look intimidating at all. He looked kind. Then Jesus spoke, my peace I give to you. A wonderful wave of peace of the Holy Spirit came over everyone, putting them at ease. Please, come, come in, have a seat. I know some of you have seen this before and have experienced it yourself. Thank you, though, for coming and supporting your loved ones. They all made their way to the mahogany seats set in the rows facing towards Jesus. Everyone was nervously excited, especially Ethan. Jesus began, for every one of you here, some of your life lived on earth was not lived well. You chose to make decisions against me and my will for you. You were unfaithful. And other times you chose to live your life for me and in accordance with my will. And for those times, you were faithful. 
There were also times when, when I witnessed you, others treating you unkindly, others who hurt you deeply, even others who are sitting near to you today. Everyone glanced around and looking at each other in an understanding and without bitterness or anger, acknowledging how they had sinned against one another and had been sinned against by others who were there. There was a hope that in this moment here with Jesus would put it all behind them and that he would make it all right. One by one, each person who was gathered there and hadn't done so already went before Jesus. Some felt the sting and remorse of his true assessment of their lives, while others felt more joy than they could ever imagine. But it all boiled down to the fact, were they companions of Jesus or not? Did they partner with him in accomplishing his will for the world? For those times in, in their lives when they were faithfully walking with him, they were praised. And for those times that they weren't, they were corrected and they felt the loss of their unfaithfulness. Yet in the end, everyone's time before the Lord, they were exhilarating sense of agreement that he had brought them to this moment where they would understand their internal calling. Finally, he heard his name being called. Ethan James Goodwin, please step up to the platform. Kalita patted Ethan on his leg before he stood up and gave him a reassuring smile. Ethan then rose and made his way up to Jesus, you know, like he was in a slow motion video. And with each step he took, he could feel his heartbeat and hearing his breath inside of his ears. His mind was racing with the simple thought, this is the moment. As Ethan came to stand before the Lord, his head slightly bowed in humility and his eyes turned upward, locked on Jesus. He received another reassuring smile from his Savior. Ethan, in both life and in death, you had quite an impact on everyone in this chamber who were privileged to be a part of your short stint on earth. Many in this room have wondered why I brought you to your heavenly home so early in life. You have heard me tell them how your death played an internal part in their lives. Ethan had already heard Jesus tell his parents, Carly, Sam, Josh, and others why his death molded their lives. But now it was his turn to see why the Lord chose to cut his time on earth before he could even live out some of his dreams, like having a family, making an impact, or even just growing old. Like everyone, Ethan, your life on earth was all about being prepared for eternity. The training you received from life was all you needed. Now here with Kalita and the others in heaven, you will complete your training. Jesus went on to explain how Ethan's competitive spirit was wonderful, God-honoring elements to it as well as how it was driven by a stubborn self-centeredness. Ethan knew his assessment from Jesus was true and it was hard to hear. Remorse came over him. Jesus continued, pushed by your insecurities that you had to win or earn the love of your parents, family members, or friends, you excelled in almost anything you put your mind to. Then Jesus moved into the depths of Ethan's heart. Although at times you wouldn't be able to articulate it, the deep beauty and attraction of knowing the unconditional love was what drew you to me. You knew it from your parents, and it's what you saw in Carly. And this unrestricted, undying love for you was 
what you heard proclaimed from my church you attended when they spoke of me from my word, the Bible. Sadly, though, you couldn't accept the truth that my love is a gift. You treated it like a trade or a deal or a product you had to pay for. Ethan asked, may I speak? Yes, of course, Ethan, Jesus replied. Ethan now waited in. I know now how much you love me and always have. And I'm sorry that I didn't accept it as unconditional when I was on earth. And I know you love my sister in the same way. He started to well up a little bit. So why isn't she here with us? Why aren't my nephews or her husband Steve here? Why are they still down on earth? Jesus then graciously replied, Therein lies your strength, Ethan. In the midst of your judgment of the works that you did in your earthly body, you still want to rescue those caught in the blindness of the evil one. Emma and Steve have loved the darkness of their greed and selfish ambitions more than me. They did not want to come into my light for fear that their deeds would be exposed. My desire was to have them here, all four of them. They did not share that same desire with me. And sadly, Ethan, the boys are following in their same footsteps. Jesus then turned to everyone in the chambers. Billions of people over the course of earthly history have broken my heart. I have offered them the only way of salvation, and they have rejected it. This is a spiritual battle at its core, and the God of the world, Satan, is fighting to blind the minds of the unbelievers. Then Jesus turned back to Ethan and looked him straight in the eyes and said to him, but this will not last. Ethan felt these feelings every time the enemy was mentioned. The righteous anger was burning red hot inside his chest. Jesus touched it with his judgment. You are a fighter, Ethan, a man who will be a warrior in my heavenly army. You will go with me into battle and defeat the enemy of your souls, the enemy of Emma and Steve and Zach's and Bobby's souls. There is coming a war to end all wars, and I have called you to fight with me on my side. You will be under the command of Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite. He is a mighty man, a skilled soldier, the commander of one of my battalions. Ethan could feel his heart racing, and he knew that this is what he was cut out to do, to be a warrior in the Lord's army. Nothing could be better. Your desire to win has always been a part of you. Your unalterable fighting spirit will play to your strengths in this assignment I have for you. Lean in here, my son. Then Jesus lifted his scarred, nail-scarred hand and gestured to Ethan to come closer. Ethan stepped up to his master, and Jesus spoke softly into his ear. From this moment forward, when you hear me speak into your heart, I will call you by your new name. The name I give to you is Lamb which means to fight. Jesus leaned back and then spoke loudly to Ethan for everyone to hear. You will always be a man who stands strong for my great name. And he handed Ethan a white stone with his new name on it, Laham, and said to him, well done, my son, my warrior son, well done. Grace, you just do an excellent job. Thank you for that. That is so awesome.
Well, at the end there, you heard Jesus tell Ethan, well done, my warrior son, well done. That may have caused you to remember the words of Jesus. Uh, he was telling a story about these servants. It's really a parable. And uh, these three servants of the master are given different levels of talents, which were money. And they were to invest it in the master's, what the master wanted them to invest it in. And uh, if you know the story, you know that the first two were given five talents and two talents, and they invested it, they doubled the money. But the third servant was given one talent, instead of investing it, he actually buried it in the ground. And when the master returned, he said to the two that invested it and doubled the money, he said, well done, my good and faithful servants, well done. But to the one who had the one talent and he buried it in the ground, he said, you wicked slave. Had you at least just put it in the bank, it would have at least earned interest. And I think Jesus, in telling that parable in Matthew 25, was talking about this event that Ethan was going through uh, in this fictitious story. It's a, it's a way of Jesus describing this idea that we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our lives, that which we've done in this body of ours, whether good or bad, as 2 Corinthians 5.10 says. Well... As we continue in this series entitled Heaven, no doubt with this issue about the fact that Christians are actually going to stand before Jesus and be judged for their lives and how they live it, no doubt that's going to cause you to wonder and ask some questions. And so uh, we have a phone number on every slide that you can text these questions into me as I'm preaching. Number's really simple, 920 321 so you can get out your phones, and as I'm talking and you've got a question, you feel free to ask them, and then Pastor Pat's going to come up at the end. And uh, any questions that we can get to, we will in the time allotted here. Any that we don't get to here, I'll do what I've been doing over the weeks, and that is recording a video recording of the answers as best that I know how to handle them uh, as, as we continue on in this series. So feel free to ask questions along the way. I think one of the biggest questions that we ask as Christians is, wait a minute, our sins are forgiven, Okay, if our sins are forgiven, you know, as far as the east is from the west, how is it that then our lives, you know, matter? How is it that they're assessed if, uh, if, they're, if all of the wrong that we do is, is forgiven and yet we'll give an account whether good or bad that we do in our lives? And, and it's true, we, are, we will have to give an account. But today we're going to unpack this whole understanding of the judgment seat of Christ and to do that, we're going to go to the clearest place that I think it's laid out for us in the Bible, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. The Apostle Paul actually uh, uses an illustration to help paint this picture of how we're supposed to build our lives and how we build our lives matters. And the way that he, the picture he uses is like the structure of a building or like a house. Like, how do you build a house? And if you know how to build a house, this is how you should build your Christian life. This is how you should build your Christian faith. And so he starts with the foundation. You've got to make sure, if you're going to build a good, solid house, you've got to make sure that it has a good, solid foundation. So that's where we're going to begin. The foundation of our faith is, and it has two elements to it, the foundation of our faith has how it's laid and what exactly that foundation is. So first let's talk about how it's laid. The, our foundation is laid by being offered this foundation by God's grace. That it's offered by God's grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. 
The Apostle Paul writes, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. So the Apostle Paul says, look, look, I came to you Corinthians, I came to you guys, and I laid the foundation. And you know why I came to you? Because of the grace of God. The message of the gospel is given because of the grace of God. We can celebrate communion and understand the good news of Jesus dying for us and rising from the grave because of the grace of God. You and I know the gospel, most everybody in here, we know this good news because somebody, by God's grace, came to us and told us this good news. And we accepted it by faith. So the, the idea that the Apostle Paul went to that first century uh, church in Corinth, or the people in Corinth, and established this church, was an act of God's grace. And the message that has been handed down from the Apostle Paul, even to us today, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is communicated because God, by God's grace, he says, go out and tell the world this good news. And what is the good news? The good news is the grace of God, that we are saved by God's grace. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, says it is by grace that we're saved. By the way, grace is God's unconditional love for us. It is God's goodness toward us, even though we don't deserve it. By grace you have been saved through faith, just trusting in this good news, trusting that Jesus will save us. By grace we have been saved through faith, this not of ourselves, not by works, not by what we do, lest any of us should boast. And so this very foundation of our faith, this foundation of our life, is given to us, is brought to us, and is received by us, and it's all about the grace of God. And what is this foundation? This foundation is Jesus himself. The foundation of our Christian lives, the foundation of our very lives, is Jesus himself. Look at verse 11. He says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. When Jill and I uh, lived in Watsika, Illinois, we had uh, friends. Their name was Mark and Charlotte Peterson. They're still our friends. And uh, Mark and Charlotte lived behind us, on the block behind us, and uh, they lived just a few doors down. And one day, Mark was telling me he's got a problem in his basement. I said, what's the problem? He said, my basement walls are beginning to bow in. You see, his house was kind of old, and when they built the house, they thought that they did a pretty good job on that foundation. But the reality is, over time, the weight of the house above that foundation began to cause the foundation to bow. And I think that that's what happens in many of our lives, that we build a foundation in our lives, we think it's a pretty good, solid foundation, and yet the weight of our lives, the heaviness of our lives, time tells if that foundation can actually support the life that we build on top of it. I think for many people, they build a foundation that might look really good, but the reality is it'll start to bow. It won't hold the weight of their lives. Like, let me just give you a few, like money, you know, or a career, you know? We, we find our identity in what we do, you know, as our job or, or, or the money that we make. And then you find in the news that even the richest of people have an emptiness inside them if they don't have Jesus. Even, even people that seem to be pretty set, you know, with their careers, there's still some sort of a void inside of them if they don't build their lives on the foundation of Jesus. I think of good health. A lot of times we say, well, you know, I'm fit, I'm 
I eat right, I feel pretty good, and if I, if I feel physically fit and I'm not sick or anything, then, then hey, that's my solid foundation, our physical health. But all it takes is to get sick and that, that foundation crumbles. Think of a, a foundation, and this one's pretty good, but not good enough, and that is that we lay our foundation on our relationships. You know, As long as I have a good relationship with my, my parents, or as long as I have a good relationship with my spouse, or as long as I have a good relationship with my kids, or my kids are succeeding, or my friendships are solid, then I know that I'm okay, then I have this identity that my life is pretty solid, that I have a lot of good relationships, and that's why I feel so good. The heaviness of life, the weight of life, the tests of life can weigh heavy, and by the way, I think it's kind of mean to actually put the foundation of our life on the shoulders of other people and how they treat us. I don't think that that's right. But we, we, we lay a lot of different foundations. We lay the foundation of our own efforts, our own intelligence, our brains. We lay the foundation on anything that we put up on a pedestal above Jesus Christ. And they are never, ever designed to carry the weight of our lives. Given enough time, those foundations will begin to bow. And so we must ask ourselves, what is the foundation that I am building my life on? It's good for every one of us to ask ourselves that. When Mark and Charlotte saw that their basement walls began to bow, they actually had to hire a company to come in and jack up their house, put I-beams uh, underneath their house, and literally dig out the whole basement, dig out the foundation below the, the cinder blocks, and uh, re-pour the foundation and rebuild the cinder blocks. And then all the way around the outside, once they sealed all the cinder blocks, they actually made a drainage system that would move all the water away from the walls of their house and drain it away from their house so that they'd never run into this problem again. And likewise, no matter what foundation we are building our lives upon, if it is not upon the foundation of Jesus, then it's time to dig out that foundation. It's time to say, this foundation is not going to last. This foundation is going to start to bow, so we're going at it. What is it that I put in my life that's the foundation for my life that's not Jesus? What is it that I have to dig out and re-pour the foundation of Jesus Christ into my life? What does it mean to have him as our foundation? It means that we trust him. It means that we give our lives to him. It means that we rely on him, not only to save us from our sins, to give us the gift of eternal life, but we rely on him to grow us, to be the men and women that he wants us to be. Where we know that if anyone were to ask us, what's the foundation of your life, you could just say quickly, well, Jesus, of course. He's the one that I trust in. He's the one that I've given my life to. And then we build our entire lives on the foundation of Jesus. So let's talk about the life that we're to build on top of this. Look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 3. He says, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. So we get to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, however we want to build it. We have the freedom to build our lives, to invest into our lives, whatever, however we want to invest in it. Now, we've got to realize that we can build into our lives those things that in God's eyes are like gold, silver, and precious stones. They matter to God. Or we can feel the freedom to invest into our lives those things that really are worthless to the Lord, which is represented here by the wood, hay, and the straw. We can have the freedom to make those choices. What we don't have the freedom to do is to 
decide the consequences of those choices. And the ultimate consequence of those choices is that our works will be judged by God. That's what he says. He says, your works will become evident. Your work will become evident. And you see what the work, how it becomes evident. It becomes evident because it will be revealed with fire. The fire itself, itself will test it. Now, this word fire here is a metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses for the judgment of the Lord. And do you see what's actually going to be judged? What's actually going to be judged is not the quantity of our work, but the quality of our work. Just like Ethan stood before the Lord and he wasn't saying, listen, you did A, B, C, and D and they're very measurable. No, he was talking about the man's heart, the, what, the, the quality of a person's work, not the quantity. And so in your outline, I have quality versus quantity. And look at at the end of verse 13, he says the fire will test the quality of each man's work. So what does quality work look like? I mean, before the Lord, you know, when you talk about quality before the Lord, what does that look like? Well, I think the Apostle Paul was pretty clear over in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Here's the quality that God is looking for. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, the quality is the Spirit's work in our lives, and these things begin to display themselves in our lives. Now, these nine fruits, they're kind of hard to measure. Like, how do you measure the quantity of love versus the quality of love? How do you measure the quantity of joy versus the quality of joy? Well, the Apostle Paul, with that one on love, when we talk about it, it's not about the quantity but the quality, he laid this out crystal clear in the beginning verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He writes this. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I just like am a great orator, but, have, but do not have love, this is the quality of my life, do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He goes on, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge. In other words, if I am just such a Bible scholar, I can just, you know, I can go anywhere in the scriptures and I just know it so well. And if I have all faith, I mean, man, that guy you just trusts amazingly as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing, Paul writes. He says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor. In other words, if I am just so generous, I'm just forking out money left and right to help this person and that person. And if I surrender my body to be burned, if I become a martyr for the Lord, but do not have love, the quality of love, it profits me nothing, Paul says. If we are like dead on with our preaching and our teaching, and man, we're so solid in understanding the scriptures and and it's just done so well, or, or if we're reaching all of Manitowoc with the gospel, if we're like growing like gangbusters, if we don't have love, if we don't have joy, if we don't have peace, if we don't have patience, in all those nine spiritual gifts, it's, it's like producing wood, hay, and straw to the Lord. It doesn't even matter. It means nothing. He wants us to produce the gold, silver, precious stones. Those things that are less tangible, but so, so real. 
Verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 3 goes on. He says, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. There are things in our life that if we invest in that gold, silver, and precious stones, we will be rewarded for it. So work that is rewarded, what is it? How can we say, well, okay, we understand how it's to be done. Now, what is that work? Well, there's a lot throughout the entire Bible. If I had to say what a way in which it'll get us started in the right direction, it's found in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. The Apostle Peter writes these words. He says this. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in other words, work at it, work really hard at this. In your faith, supply moral excellence, doing the right thing. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you won't be producing the wood, hay, straw. You'll be producing the gold, silver, precious stones. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. This investment, being diligent to invest in the things that matter to the Lord. I love the list. As I was pondering this list, it kind of goes from head stuff and act of the will stuff over to heart stuff, like heart commitment and heart contentment. Like he starts out, you know, with moral excellence and like doing the right thing. Just making a, a decision, I'm just going to do the right thing. Uh, adding to that, what is it, knowledge is next. The idea that, hey, you know, you can invest in knowing God's will. You can invest in knowing the Bible, this head stuff. And in your knowledge, self-control, that's a fruit of the Spirit as well, doing the right thing. And in your self-control, then there's this word perseverance. I really think that word perseverance is a pivotal word in this list. It kind of moves from the head and the act of the will to the heart, right down the heart's commitment. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear up under this. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do this because I'm committed. That's what that next word is. And in your perseverance, godliness. That, that word godliness doesn't mean like exterior appearance of looking really good and godly. That word actually means a loyalty to God. That I'm committed to being loyal to my Lord. And then he goes on with those warm words, brotherly kindness and love. Keep building these into our lives. Well, to finish up here, let me just say this. God's judgment never diminishes his love for us. God's judgment of us never diminishes his love for us. How can our sins be forgiven and he loves us and he died for us? And yet we have this assessment. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15, he writes this. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. That's what happens to many Christians. They'll suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ. Like that servant who buried the talent. He had a sense of being reprimanded. He suffered loss. Feeling of remorse. And I know people in my life who I know are saved. But they've turned their back on the Lord. They're not really walking with the Lord. They're not growing in the Lord. They're not walking in the Spirit. They're not humbling themselves before the Lord. I'm going to give you this passage that we don't have time to look at, but it's pretty sobering. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. Hebrews chapter 10, 26 and 27. It is a clear 
judgment of God against Christians that's severe. This fire of God is severe because they've turned their back on him. Christians who don't heed the warning, who don't invest in building this house on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, but they're building it with wood, hay, and straw. And yet, look at the whole verse. We've got we to gotta finish out this whole verse. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. He'll be saved because Jesus saves us by grace, not by works. He'll be saved because the foundation is laid. You know, this is a true story with Mark and Charlotte. They put that new basement in, new foundation in. A couple years later, in the middle of the night, I get a phone call. Mark and Charlotte's house is on fire. I run out the back of my house, across the block, down the street. Their house is totally engulfed in flames. Fortunately, Mark and Charlotte, their two daughters, their dog even, everybody got out. But the house was completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. After all, you know, after it sat there for a little bit while, they did all the testing on the foundation. You know what happened? That brand new solid foundation, they basically lopped off everything that was built on top of that and built a brand new house using that same exact foundation. They were able to use it. It was perfectly intact. You know, our foundation is Jesus. No matter what happens in our life, uh, that foundation stays secure. It can never be destroyed because as the Bible says, once we are adopted into God's family, we can't become unadopted. We pass over from death to life. We, those who are in the Lord are in the double grip of God and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, absolutely nothing can. We are secure with that foundation of Jesus. But here it is Mother's Day. Let me just wrap up with this. Here it is Mother's Day. And when we think of tender, the tender loving care of mothers, mothers for their children want nothing but the very best for them. And when their children sin against mom, she forgives them. Their, their sins are not held against them. And yet she wants them to succeed. She wants them to learn from their mistakes. She wants them to grow. She wants them to become you know, great citizens of the world. Likewise, God, he forgives us of our sins. And yet he wants us to succeed. And when we succeed in the gold, silver, and precious stones that he so desires for us to produce, in our lives by the Spirit's work through us, the quality of our work, then we will be recompensed for that. <laughs> we, will, we will take into our possession the reward that is ours as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your kindness toward us. We thank you that you give us uh, warnings in the Bible guidance in the Bible, things that help us to focus on you and focus on what matters for you, what matters to you. And so, Lord, we, uh, we just give our hearts over to you. We pray that you would uh, grow us, pray that you would challenge us, that we would produce in our lives gold, silver, precious stones and not things that are worthless to you like the wood, hay, and straw. May we build our foundation on you, Lord Jesus, and all that we say and do. May we do it with you in mind to be faithful to you until you either come to bring us home or we go home to be with you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, Pat. We crammed a lot into this service, but Pat's got some questions. How'd they come in? Were they fine? You're going to... Yeah, they're fine. They're fine, all right. You're going to have a busy time, though, uh, on Facebook, so... Uh, yeah, let's just do one since we're running a little long. Roger that. 
What if we had been offered God's grace but denied it for many years of our life? How do we even begin to account for those years to Jesus? Yeah, that's a good one. So uh, the idea that Jesus has been drawing, 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 wanting us to come to him, wanting us to come to him, and we've kind of been stiff-arming him, and then in the end we come to him. Now, there's a parable, and maybe you can help me remember where it's at, Pat, because I, I can't pull it up. I can pull it up for Facebook. But the idea that um, there's actually this guy who's hiring people to work for him, and one guy starts at the beginning of the day, and he's given a drachma, I think, and then at the end of the day, another he hires another one, and he gives him a drachma, and it's an even pay. And the guy that's been working there all day long actually thinks it's unfair. How come he gets paid the same that I get paid? And the, the, the owner says, hey, it is my prerogative to pay whoever, whatever I want to pay him. Did you find it? Or no, you're looking at something else. Okay. <laughs> Checking your Facebook. Checking your Facebook. That's fine. <laughs> so, uh, all right, Matthew 20, that's good. We'll confirm that. But uh, the idea that, that um, yeah, the Lord will, I think everything will be measured as a whole. Not just, I just stiff-armed him, but I think God knows why you stiff-armed him. I think God knows what, what your fears were, all that kind of stuff. It will be a perfect judgment. When, when we end with, like, I, like, like uh, little Ethan, uh, Grace was sharing about Ethan, in the end of the judgment, even if it's remorseful, even if it's pretty rough, even if uh, you're thinking, well, wait, I mean, they didn't follow you as long as I followed you, or they didn't have as much on their plate as I had on my plate. In the end of every judgment, we're going we're gonna to have this overwhelming sense of joy, like, absolutely, Lord Jesus, it's perfect. You made me perfectly for this, and I'm so grateful for what you're doing in me and through me. So, thank you, yes. Matthew 20, 1 through 16, perfect. I was just joking with you about what you said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's pray together. Father, thanks for this moment. Thanks for this time. Thank you, Lord, that you, uh, that you are near to us, that you're gentle and tender toward us. Some people here maybe uh, in their heart have thought, well, I've, I've, I've been producing wood, hay, and straw, not the things that are precious to you. And Lord, just like the question... What if we now stop stiff-arming you and now we open up our heart to you? I think you're calling all of us to open up our heart to you in this moment, Lord. May we live from this moment on like the Apostle Paul lived toward the Thessalonians where we were gentle toward you and tender-hearted like a nursing mother cares for her child. Lord, may we not only talk about your word and the gospel and the good news, may we give each other our very lives. May we love each other well, not for our glory, but for yours alone. We pray this, Jesus, in your name.